Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And the Sacred City Life podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the normal rhythms of life. And today I have with me two of my pastoral assistants. I've got Bryson. Hey. And Kevin. Hey, guys. And we are going to be following up our last couple podcasts talking about the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible. Um, And we're going to jump into really some what we're going to call literary context. That's kind of what we're going to talk about on this podcast, helping you understand your Bible. Um, but before we do that, we are going to hit a couple big, big questions like um, what is the Bible and go through, you know, just kind of get our feet wet, get a little understanding. We're all coming together. If you didn't grow up in the church, um, we say Bible, we say scripture, um, what is the Bible exactly, right? And we, if you want to go back and listen on our podcast, we, we covered a whole section in the Westminster Confession on the Theology for Everyone segment on Holy Scripture. Go back and listen to that to get a, go in a lot more detail. But um, the Bible, if we ask the question, what is the Bible? The easiest answer is it's the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. They're the Word of God, the only rule of faith and obedience. So that's kind of the, the simple version from the simple line from the Westminster Confession. So the Bible is God's holy inspired word. And that means it has eternal relevance. So when I say it has eternal relevance, what does that mean to you, Bryson? That... Um It's important's probably a bad word. Important forever. It's going to be around forever. It lasts forever. Okay. Yep. So it's permanent. It's permanent. That's a good word. Yeah. That's part of that's part of etern- eternal. But what about the relevance piece? Eternal relevance. What do you think, Kevin? I think eternal relevance. I think. Um the importance of it doesn't change over time. It's, um, it informs our faith and the way to know God and to know Christ and to receive salvation that doesn't change over time. Yeah. So when we say the scripture is God's word and it's holy and it's um, the only rule of faith and obedience <clears throat> or faith and practice, what that means is if we want to know how to live, we have to go to the Word of God because the Word of God has eternal, eternal relevance. It tells us who God is, what God has done, who we are, what we are for, how we should live. And so um, it's eternally relevant. It's over and above our culture. Hmm. So our, every culture of the world says these things are right, these things are wrong, these things are good, these things are bad. Do this, don't do that. Every culture of the world says that. The problem is those those things, if you look through time, those things change in different seasons and different times and different cultures. And the word of God is meant to be over and above all human cultures. So it tells us how we should live, period. Any culture you live in, right? But the Bible was written with historical particularity. 
because it was written in and spoken in a very specific culture, mm-hmm. actually cultures, right? Yeah. So in order to understand what the Bible rightly teaches, you have to dig down into the historical particularity of each book, mm-hmm. wherever that book was written. Because remember, the Bible, we, this is, I know this is confusing, we, we speak of the Bible as one book, Right, but the Bible is actually pop quiz. How many books? Sixty-six. Dang, you got it. <laughs> All right, sixty-six books written over a period of fifteen hundred years, about about fifteen hundred years, by over forty different authors, and so and it's made up of a lot of different types of literature as well. So mm-hmm. when it's written into you know a, you know when it's um, the culture of Assyria is different than the culture of first century, first century Jerusalem, right? Which is different than the culture of Ephesus, which is, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is different than our, our culture. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what we're going to talk about today on the, on the podcast is specifically um, exegesis. So how to get the meaning out of the text, okay? Exe, exe out of. Um, Jesus, that's the, so we're trying to get the meaning out of the text. As far as eisegesis means putting the meaning into the text. So I think we said in the last podcast that Bible reading is not a picnic where the authors brought the words and the readers bring the meaning. Mm -hmm. So we don't say, well, I think what this means to me is, no, 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 it, it doesn't matter what that means to you. The, the question you have to answer is, what did it mean to the author? Hmm. What was he, try, he or she trying to communicate, right? What, what is actually being said, and what did that mean in that particular culture, right? Those words in that particular culture. So exegesis is the careful and deliberate study of a text to learn what was meant back then and there. What we're asking is, what was the intended meaning when this was written. And this is why all those weird things that you can see on TVN, like the Bible code and all kind of weird people finding like Hitler's name in scripture and mm-hmm. weird prophetic dreams of, you know, all, all that kind of stuff is all garbage and should just be completely pushed away. The Bible is not a magical book. It didn't fall out of heaven. It was written by men. It was inspired by God, written by men into particular cultures to have a particular meaning and that's what, when we're studying the Bible, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the meaning that this author was trying to get across. Now, that does not mean that there can't be um, something deeper underneath that, that the Lord was trying, that the Lord was going to reveal, or a meaning that would be fulfilled later that they didn't have a, they didn't understand. Like, clearly, um, you know, Jesus is foreshadowed in a lot of the, the Old Testament, and he possibly even shows up several times in the Old Testament. As they were writing that, they might not have thought that was going to happen, you know. Yeah. But but God God did. That's why it was divinely inspired. <clears throat> so so in exegesis, we are studying the historical and the literary contexts, um, as well as the the content of the passage. Historical: what's going on in history? What's going on in the culture? Where are they at? And the literary context that that means. Um, just like you would study anything in English class, right? You, you read um, poetry 
and you interpret poetry differently than you do biography. Yeah. Right. And so we have to be able to understand what, what it is that we're reading. Right. And so let me go through um, a few of these big pieces. So you're reading the Bible. Um, hopefully the last time you heard you need a good study Bible. So you get a study Bible. If you, if the only Bible you have is grandma's King James version, that big one that, that, that Joe Biden used to swear in on, <laughs> you need to get a different Bible. Um, there's a lot better Bibles out there. So we, we're going we're gonna to assume you've already got a study Bible so that you can do what we're about to tell you to do. When you're reading a book of the Bible, okay, the first thing you should do is read in your study Bible the three or four pages of introduction. In that introduction... You're going to learn. Now, again, th that introduction is not divinely inspired. That's not the word of God. That was written by scholars to help you understand what you're about to read. Okay. But what you're going to learn when you read um, that chunk, that commentary, you're going to learn the time, the date, when, it, when was this written. You're going to learn what culture was this written into. You're going to learn who, who is writing this, this book. What was their purpose in writing this book? It's interesting. You can learn. You can just... If you get Bible so software, or you can Google some stuff too. You're gonna, you can learn topography, geography, the political factors that are going. Who's the king? Are they, are they their own kingdom? Are they under subject, subjugation from another kingdom? What's the greatest threats going on right now in society? <clears throat> um, you're gonna learn the occasion of the writing. You're gonna learn the pur purpose, and that's gonna help you understand the book and the author in such a way that it, you can sit, situate yourself. Um, in the text, in a way, or in the context, so you can say, okay, you know, like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I, I have the, you know, I, I, I know, and I have a plans laid out for you, says the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you. Was that to, was that written to a twenty first century American, and with my ideas of prosperity and my ideas of, of a purpose and a plan that the Lord has for me, or was that, did I have, you know, was that written to people who were in exile? and had a very different meaning, right? And so if I can situate myself in that um, text, now I can go, oh, okay, that, that's going to help me understand the meaning a little bit better just by understanding the historical context, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, now, <clears throat> this, a lot of times you're going to find this. This is going to be found in the text too. Paul, like, Paul, when he writes to a, you know, he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's going to tell you about uh, a lot of stuff that's going on there. So you can find a lot of that in the text as you're reading, but it's more helpful just to either get a commentary or get a study Bible and go through it um, first so you can kind of get your feet wet and you can feel what's going on in society, yeah. right? Here's one like contemporary example. Like when I say social justice now, people freak out, right? Why? And, and I've been saying social justice for a decade, and my definition of social justice is biblical and has never changed, never shifted, and I can define it if it needs to be defined, and I can define, but the culture, the, the, the cultural definition of, of social justice has went in two polarizing directions, on the right and on the left. And so now, when I say the word social justice, people are importing their meaning into the words that I say. So that's an example of we need to understand context before we just try to interpret the Bible, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Um, 
if you heard me say social justice 10 years ago, you would have been bothered by it. You would have maybe even understood what I was meaning by it. But now I say the same exact words and they have different meaning to you. Yeah. Even though my meaning remains the same. Okay? So it's important for us to understand the historical context of any of the books that we're reading. The next piece of context we got to study in exegesis is the literary context. Um, most people don't know. One of the reasons the Bible is so difficult to understand for a lot of people is there's so many different genres, right? You read the Psalms and you're like, oh man, I really, this is poetic. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Then you read Proverbs and you're like, what the heck is this? Then you read the law, right? You read the Torah and you're, and, with, and you're like, what? And then even in the law and the Torah and the Pentateuch, you've got um, historical narrative in all of that. You've got prophetic pieces. You've got songs in there. Um, we've got, C.S. Lewis says when the Gospels were written, they were, it was a genre that had never been written before. And so the Gospels are kind of a first-person narrative account that's um, historical. Then you've got early church history. <clears throat> you've got letters, just literally Paul writing letters to the church, churches. And then the craziest of them all, you got Apocalypse, right? You got prop, weird, not just pro pro prophecy, because you got prophecy too, but you've got Apocalypse, which is a type of literature that is like hallucinogenic is basically what it is. It's, it's, he's seeing something in pictures in his mind and he's, and he's writing it down, trying to describe it with the first century vocabulary and worldview. Yeah. And so it's very bizarre. Now, inside all of those different genres, you've got different types of literature. You got narrative, you got legal, you've got poetry, you got wisdom, you got prose, you got letters, you've got genealogies. That's always fun when you're first trying to read the Bible. Oh, yeah. Right? <clears throat> you got parables, you've got hymns, you've got all kind of Old Testament history, narrative, gospel acts. You've got all kind of different stuff like that. Right? You've got these letters like Romans and 1 Corinthians, you got poetry like the Psalms. We've got Apocalyptic, Daniel 7 through 12, Revelation, weird, just crazy stuff. We've did a whole series on Revelation. You want to go listen to that. And you got wisdom. You got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job's. Now here's the here's why we're talking about this. When you are trying to understand the meaning of a text, the type of literature and genre has an effect on how we exegete the text. Right? So, when, Jesus, when it said Jesus walked on water, what does that mean? Jesus walked on water. Okay. When Solomon says that his wife's breasts are like two fawns, what does that mean, Bryson? It's like a weird compliment. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure that, you know, she didn't have fawn-shaped breasts, <laughs> right? So, you, you were joking along, but that's... Right, you don't. People often say, "Don't you believe the Bible is the literal word of God?" Well, it depends on what you mean by literal. Hmm. Every type of genre, every type of of, of <clears throat> literature, 
requires a different type of a different way to read it, a different way to interpret it, right? You you immediately you don't even recognize what you're doing, but you immediately <clears throat> recognized always oh, speaking metaphorically, right? Yeah. Because that's what you do in love letters and prose and poetry and stuff like that. That's how that's how you that's how you speak. So but if you're reading the Bible very woodenly, I mean, that's how you're, you're going to be like, what, what's, and, and what's, what's going on here, right? Like, I don't understand, I don't understand this. Um, <clears throat> another problem that people have when they're reading different genres is they read like what happens in the Bible, like what happens in the Old Testament, the narrative sections of scripture. They read that <clears throat> like it's prescriptive, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Just because Abraham had multiple wives does not mean that the Bible is okay with polygamy. Doesn't mean that. But you could read it like that because God didn't strike him dead and God didn't say no right away or whatever. Um, <clears throat> my kids have recently kind of gotten bored with the... Um, Jesus Storybook Bible. We've literally been reading it for like 10 years. <laughs> and they're just bored with like the <clears throat> kind of the Sunday school Bible stories. Mm-hmm. And so last night at dinner, I broke out uh, I broke out the Bible and we read one chapter from the book of Judges. <clears throat> and I'm like, I was like, man is like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're going to read a chapter from the book of Judges. We're going to work our, I told her we're going to work our way through the book of Judges. She kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? <clears throat> First paragraph. So if you don't know about the book of Judges, um, God's people are right, basically entering into the promised land and God's driving out uh, the godless, idolatrous people, the Canaanites, all of them. He's dry, And he's telling, he's commanding his people to go in there and basically kick butt and take names and drive them out. And so there's a lot of violence. And right away, the first chapter... Um, they they capture this king and they and they cut off his thumbs and they cut off his big toes. And as soon as I read it, the kids went, What? Like immediately you saw they were like, What is this? We've never heard this Bible story before. And it's it's he gets his and it says basically, they cut his toe his big toe and his thumbs off because he had done it to like fifty different kings or something like that. He mm-hmm. had done that to fifty different kings and he had these kings serving him um, with his Toes and big, to- uh, big toes and thumbs cut off. Now, that's what they did, and that's what happened. That does not mean God commands us to cut people's thumbs and toes off, right? It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive, right? Yeah. Um, so that that's just a, a principle that we should think about anytime we're uh, we're reading something in scripture just because it's there and God doesn't immediately condemn it doesn't mean that's something we should do, right? Um, just because, you know, Peter walked on water doesn't mean that we should, that we should be able to, we should be able to, yeah. or we should try even, okay? Now it's important because over 40% of the Old Testament is narrative and a good chunk of the New Testament is also narrative. Acts is mostly narrative. Um, in Acts, you see Peter gets so hungry, basically, he falls into a trance and saw, sees a vision that tells him to get up and 
get rid of the Jewish food laws and and uh, to call no animal unclean. Now, that does not mean that we should starve ourselves in, in order to see a vision. Or we should even wait till we see a vision, determine which diet we're going to choose for the new year. Right? Hmm. Narrative texts are not prescriptive. Um, another interesting thing you see is in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples. And he says, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then in Acts a more descriptive text. You, it says the apostles are baptizing people in Jesus' name. Now, that's just descriptive. I've had people come to our church and say, do you baptize in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, that's wrong. You should baptize in only Jesus' name. From that text in, in Acts. I'm like, first off, Jesus prescribes for us how we're supposed to baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that Acts is doing is describing what the apostles did, and it might not even be just, it might not be doing it with perfect clarity. You know what I mean? Yeah. It might just it just be it's just giving kind of a general sense of yeah, they, everyone was baptized in Jesus' name, just like we pray in Jesus' name. Yeah. Doesn't mean they didn't baptize him in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? <clears throat> so again, that's just kind of a misunderstanding of narrative, and um, baptizing people in Jesus' name could just be shorthand for baptizing people in the way Jesus told us to. Yeah. So again, it's really important for us to understand what type of literature and what genre the book of the Bible that you are reading is if you're going to do good exegesis. All right? So um, best again, best way to do that is before you start reading a book, um, and this is one thing that's kind of not good about Bible reading plans is you don't have you don't do this in a Bible reading plan is go get your Bible study and read the introduction piece and say, what kind of literature is this? Who's the author? When was it written? What's the context? What's the purpose of the writing? So that you will be able to begin the process in a, in a correct way. Right? Any, any thoughts from you guys on that? Yeah, thinking like... It almost feels like... Uh, or it could feel almost textbooky to get like gather so much information before you read. So what is the transition from a textbook reading of scripture to like, okay, now it's settled in my head. Let's move it down to my heart. Yeah. Well, first off, it doesn't necessarily have to be textbooky. Once you get, first off, once you get familiar with the scripture, this becomes second nature. Let me read this quote by Howard Hendricks from one of my favorite uh, books on how to read the Bible, Living by the Book. He says this, Scripture does not yield its fruit to the lazy. Mm -hmm. Like any other discipline of life, Bible study pays off in proportion to how much of an effort you make. Mm. So, listen, if your honey writes you a love letter, it doesn't require much of you to sit down there and read it. Right, it was written specifically to you. It's insider language. There might be insider jokes in there. You get it. <clears throat> the Bible was not written to you. The Bible was written to the people of God in a particular place and time. And so you're, people always say the Bible is God's love letter written to you. <laughs> no, it's freaking not. To the to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? <laughs> Are you the angel of the church of Ephesus? It's not. Then that wasn't written to you. You know. 
to Timothy, my dear brother, are you Timothy? Then that was not written to you. The Bible was written for you, for your good, but not to you. And so we are, we are borrowing somebody else's love letter from God. We are get, and so we have to understand where we're, the person writing it, what were they trying to communicate, the person receiving it, how would they have received it, what were they hearing, what were they needing. We need to understand those things. So we have to do the textbook you work. We have to do the work. Um, we can't just open up our Bible and, and, and then basically when we do that, most of the time we're just wanting some little bit of inspiration. Mm. We're just wanting some soul food in the moment just to feel better about our life or to help us go forward. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but that's not Bible study and that won't yield deep and meaningful soul-sustaining fruit. Yeah. Right? Um, so in order to, to dig deep, we've got to do a little bit of head work and understanding the context, the historical context, the literary context, and digging down in it. Again, literary... Also, we're, we're examining words, and words have meaning. But my friend uh, John is to keep... He, he's, a, he's an attorney, and so he interprets everything through an attorney lens. Words have meaning, Justin. Well, actually, the legal definition of words is one definition, but just, you know, everyday usage of language is actually different than the legal definition of terms. We're not all lawyers. We're not all attorneys who work off the same, you know, um, legal definition of words. And so we've got to get down and understand what that um, author was trying to communicate and what that whoever was the recipient, what they were trying, uh, what they would have received from that. Um, even when we're reading <clears throat> um, apocalyptic, which is <clears throat> crazy, you know? So, and then once we do that, then we're going to be able to see the heart behind it. We're going to oh, now I understand what it's coming from. And then our heart can get engaged. Again, we want our heart to be feasting off of something that's true an accurate interpretation of the scripture, not what we feel in the moment. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> when it scripture writes that, uh, I, I'll talk top of my head. I think it was Paul writing. He said, I want your, um, I want you to flourish in life, even as your soul flash in body, even as your soul flourishes, you know, like we can interpret that as, Ooh, he wants me to prosper. Oh, he wants me to get rich. Oh, he wants, me. because that's what we really want. Mm-hmm. But when we dig down in the, the meaning of the text, we realize that that's not what he's talking about. He's literally talking about our soul flourishing, right? And he wants us to be in good health, yes, but he wants our soul, he wants our soul to mind, body, spirit to, to flourish. Yeah. Well, and I think um, kind of counter to the, the, the textbooky feel of understanding, and, you know, I'm a learner, so it's kind of... Um, a little easier for me to wrap my head around, but for folks who, for example, do both years of Porterbrook, and then it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? I'd, I'd challenge, do you understand the the historical context, the, the literature or the literary um, foundation of the books of the Bible? Because I would, I, I think that changes how you understand scripture. And you could probably spend the next at least two years familiarizing yourself with those things alone. Absolutely. And there's tons of good books on it. If you want good books, email me. <clears throat> I've read a, at least a dozen books on it that are 
that it helps you every time you read a book like that. It opens up the scriptures in new ways. And also, so we're talking about books have certain genres, but also as you're any, almost any of the books, you'll be reading and they'll switch literary context really quick. And you don't, and sometimes like in our, our Bibles will show it to us. So like if they're quoting a Psalm, it'll be like, uh, they'll be indented on both sides. You know what I mean? It kind of can show you that, oh, he's quoting from an Old Testament Psalm. And so he went from um, narrative to a quotation from an Old Testament Psalm, a a poem. You'll see things like that. Or, you know, they'll just slap those genealogies in there uh, out of nowhere. Um, and, but sometimes even when you're reading um, like the book of Genesis, you're kind of like, it takes some, it, there's some hard work that's necessary. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in the podcast before, Genesis 1 and 2. Is people, some people think that some of that is poetic and it might not be um, you know, just historical narrative. It might be a poetic way to, to describe the way that God created all things. Mm-hmm. And you're reading in there and and. The, it's just important for us to understand what what exactly type what type of writing we're reading in this moment, and then we have to say, okay, wh- how do I interpret that type of writing, right? Yeah. Is this a meta? Is this metaphorical? Is this what you know? Is this or is this just you know historical narrative? That boom, this is exactly how it happened. Hmm. So that is first step when you start studying God's word is to get a grip on the historical context of the Bible. What did it mean back then? Right? It was written to them, but it was written for us. So I have to understand what it meant to them before I can say, what does it mean for me? Yeah. Right? If it didn't mean that for them, then it really can't mean that for me. <laughs> right? <clears throat> that's that's a, um, something that we always need to remember. Okay. Well, this is a little bit short of a podcast, guys. Um, we're going to go talk about hermeneutics to how, how to get the meaning out of the text uh, next time we meet together, next time we talk. So if you've got any questions, please send me an email, Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. I'd love to help you. Hopefully this is a blessing to you guys. We love you. God bless. God bless.